Hello, and welcome to the Business Behind Small Business, the show that reminds you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you're a business owner. In each episode, we will discuss a common issue small businesses face and offer tips and advice from the perspectives of two business owners, one that built to sell and one that built to inherit. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone and Chloe Lee. There's a lot of business behind small business, so let's get to it. Doing business can be a lot of work, right? You attend networking events, you have these one-to-ones, you do follow-ups, and everything else that is expected of you. So when do you actually work exactly? Building your business shouldn't be difficult, and the one thing that no one talks about is that it really doesn't have to be. Wouldn't it be great if you had a wingman, a partner in crime, a Clyde to your Bonnie, or better yet, a wolf for your Wall Street? In our fourth part of our four-part series, we will share with you insight on what a village means for your business and how it can help you as you scale. Before we begin, we should note our disclaimer. We are not licensed financial experts, nor do we give financial advice. Anything we share with you here on our podcast, whether it be a personal experience or submission or advice, tips that have worked for us or that we believe would work for you, should not be viewed as either financial, business, or tax advice. We ask for you to do your research, have open and honest conversations with your company's own support providers, and make decisions based upon that. Throughout this broadcast, we will share our knowledge and give suggestions and hope you will receive them as part of your overall research to better your own company. So, tell me what your perspective is on what a company needs for a strong structure and the added benefits to these relationships. So in the last episode, we talked about one-to-ones. So that's the meeting just beyond that first meeting or that first impression that gives you the opening to build a long-term relationship with somebody you just met. Now we're talking talking about another step beyond that, right? Keeping those relationships and essentially what we're calling building your own village because it does take a village to build a business. So why a village? Honestly, at the end of the day, to build a successful business, especially if you want it to the level to where you can get a good sale out of it, or even if you want it to last for the next 20 to 50 years, you will need to ask for help. Maybe it's a referral. Maybe it's a direct sale to a customer. Maybe it's just for emotional support. Whatever the case may be, you will need to ask for help if you want to break through the different levels of your business and the different challenges that comes with each level. Your village is the one place and probably the first place you probably want to turn to to ask for help. Now, Savannah, you're going to go on to more details about how to actually mm-hmm. build a village. So I was going to yes. add a few high level thoughts of uh, for our listeners to nibble on as we dive into mm-hmm. the details about building that village. Mm-hmm. So my number one thought about the subject is just at the end of the day, just do great work. Right. Do great work. Show up every day for yourself, do an amazing work for your business, for your client, and most importantly, for you. It's it's going to be a grind to have to show up every day and bring your best, but that's what success is. And when you do that, those in your village will take notice and you will build trust and you will build your brand. 
Now, I wouldn't recommend that you just leave it at that, meaning that you think you can just do great work, let us speak for yourself, and your village will simply, and you'll simply be rewarded with referrals and revenues. I would suggest um, on top of that, that you openly demonstrate what your value is. So whether or not that's using social media, using your email distribution, writing stories that you know that you can share where you catch up one on one with those in your village. You want to be able to show people how you're doing your great work. Now, you, you don't need to be obnoxious or arrogant about this, but waiting for somebody to realize what your worth is, is like flipping a coin and hoping that it'll land on heads 100 percent of the time. Find a method to share how you're doing your work that doesn't irritate the people in your village, but it gives them a clear picture of what your business does and what's capable of. Last, always continue to add people to your village. People come and go, contacts come and go. So it's important that you keep adding people to your village and expanding your network. I found a great article online by the co-CEO of Boss Babe, uh, Natalie Ellis. Uh, also, really awesome name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love I love all of it. So, yes. So she suggested, you know, to keep expanding your network and your village, go to conferences and meetups, um, join closed community for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. work in co-working spaces uh, like coffee shops and um, regions or WeWorks or something like that and leverage your business to contact with those who are hard to reach. So, for example, that means using your business as the reason to connect with somebody you would otherwise not have a reason to reach out to. But, of course, always, always, always respect other people's time. So Mm -hmm. make sure that that meeting you're having with them is also worth their while. Mm -hmm. All right, Savannah. So are you going to tell us exactly how we're going to build this village? (laughs) Yes. And I think that uh, some of what I have to say might overlap what um, what you said. Uh, well, so we all fall into this trap when we are first starting a business. We're told we should join this, that, and the other, and made to feel like our business will fall apart if we don't belong to X, Y, and Z. And, and you know, both of us have fallen into that trap as well, have we not? Um, it's simply not true. I do believe you should join a group that aligns with your business and has like-minded business people in it. It's really good for your morale and to build your network, but that doesn't mean that that's where all of your business is going to come from either. In saying that, marketing isn't the end all as well. Yes, marketing is helpful for brand recognition and it does play a very important role, as does networking. But the secret to success is not one or the other. It's the combined effort plus one more thing. But before I get into that, I want you to think of yourself as either a new parent of a child, a new parent of a pet, or the new parent of a plant, your choice, uh, and how difficult it is to keep it alive all by yourself. When you need to run to the grocery store and your baby is sleeping, isn't it nice to ask your trusted longtime neighbor to hang out at your house while you go grab milk? Or say you want to go on vacation, but you don't trust your pup just anywhere, so you ask your good friend's teenage child to take care of the doggy while you're away. You travel a lot, you love your plants, you don't want them to die, so, you know, well, you get the picture. It's not easy to live in this world at this time without a network of friends, family, and neighbors to help along the way, and I feel like this past year or so has truly brought that to light. 
I don't think I could have gotten very far with my company if it wasn't for my village. When I started, I had a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and I got pregnant with my third soon after. It was mayhem for many years, but I made it work with my team of supporters. Your business is your baby, and your business the baby, needs a village too. Some call this a referral network. Some call it strategic relationships. I call it a village because fostering close relationships with your referral partners crosses over that transactional business energy to relationship, I got your back energy. And this is where you want to be. Uh, and, And let me speak on that a little bit deeper. We all have referral relationships. And just like intercommunication, they're in deep, different places as far as depth, right? We have these uh, relationships that are maybe surface level. We can talk to them in a business tone. We could have a business toned conversation with them, but it doesn't go further than that. Then we have other relationships where we can every now and then maybe go grab a coffee with them and not talk fully about uh, um, about work, but Still, it's it's still a very professional relationship. And then you go another level deeper than that. And you've got a, re, a relationship with someone similar to you and I, where it's more of a I got your back kind of energy where I'm going to help you. I'm going to scratch your back and maybe someday you'll scratch mine. That's the level at which you want to be at in order to be, I think, the most successful in your village. So. How do you create a village that will help support your business and get you to your goals? You have to start with your clients. Seems seems a little uh, backwards, but it's true. You start with your clients. Imagine yourself as your client and imagine what services your client will need that could potentially intersect with you. For example, in my business, my village consists of bankers, CPAs, contracted CEOs, CFOs, payroll providers, business coaches. My clients have all been referred to me by someone in one of those fields because what we do and what they do intersect. I'll use a different example. Let's say you sell a product. What product is it that you sell that could intersect with what your client might also use? Let's say the the product you sell is an energy drink. If your client is buying an energy drink from you, chances are they work out. Chances are they have uh, a trainer of some sort. So a trainer would be a good place in which your relationship could intersect. And seek out these kinds of people if you don't already have a relationship with them. Once you've identified who your potential villagers are, start building relationships. It's always best to be the first to send a referral to someone you really want to have as your strategic partner. As I mentioned before, networking and one-to-ones are essential to relationship building. So be prepared to have multiple conversations and multiple face-to-face meetings with that person to cultivate a relationship. So remember where I said, you're doing all of these things now, when are you actually doing business? If you're a part of networking groups that are not feeding you, then you need to leave the networking group. If within a couple of months you realize that this networking group's not feeding you, get out. You should be spending your time building relationships with the people you really know you're going to be able to do business with. That's where your time should be spent. So now that you have your village created, be proud of it. Make sure all of your clients are aware that you have very well cultivated partnerships with the kinds of services your clients are going to need or products, whatever it may be that you have. Your clients should know that you've invested time in making sure your client can come to you for anything they need. 
you've now become an essential part of their team as well. They're going to be very interested in being connected to those whom you are connected to for two reasons. One, they trust you and trust those you send to them. And two, you've already made it clear that you've put a lot of thought into your partnership. Being a valued service provider to your client is important, but know that many of your referrals are going to come from these quote unquote referral partners. Keep them happy and they will be more than happy to share the wealth with you as well. Now, let's discuss what do you do to create these relationships? We'll start with you. So I think when you when you first start a business, um, especially if it's your first business and your startup, I think it takes a lot more legwork at that point. Nobody knows who the heck you are, right? Nobody knows what what you right. what you do. Nobody knows what your brand is. Nobody knows how trustworthy you are. Even mm-hmm. if you're saying that I have been the best employee I've ever been in my life, guess what? Nobody sees that and nobody knows. Mm-hmm. So you have to make the extra effort to put yourself out there and be more active in building those relationships. You know, mm-hmm. be proactive you know, reach out, you know, don't get don't get shy. If somebody doesn't respond to your first email, send a second email call. Um, sometimes emails end up in junk mail, especially if nobody's heard of you, you know, may really make sure. And, you know, sometimes if you get the no or the polite, you know, maybe some other time. Well, great. Then that means you get to move on. But it's better than, you know, sending one email out there and saying, oh, I didn't get a reply. And then just stop trying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're starting out, you just got to put more work in it. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And then as you get along um, a few years in, you'll start building reputation for yourself and then your reputation will speak for you. But it takes time to get there. And mm-hmm. while you're doing that, you want to make sure that as you're building a village, because let's admit it, your village is probably going to be only one or two people. Mm-hmm. You <laughs> it's going to be a tiny, teensy little village. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, look out for the quality of people in your village. Build a good foundation, build a good circle around yourself, build mm-hmm. a good network like Savannah you're referring to so that people know that you have a good network and they know that whatever referrals or recommendations or connections you make for them it's trustworthy and it's worthwhile yeah absolutely I um before 2020 uh, my network of villagers and I whoever whoever was on my referral team we would have dinners we would meet for drinks we would have coffees uh, during the pandemic, these turned to Zoom meetings, Zoom coffees, phone call catch-ups. Uh, these times together are important in order to deepen and strengthen our relationships and to keep me top of mind when they're looking to refer someone to one of their clients. For example, this month and next month is when I start doing my touch base with all of my uh, referral relationships because it's, you know, we're coming into tax season. And uh, <laughs> I will say when I first started out, um, I, I would say, oh, hey, you know, CPA, you and I met in, um, at this event, whatever. And I really would like to, a relationship. And they would, I would always get this look like, go away, lady. I don't know what you want from me. And then I'd say, no, really, I have clients that I can send to you. No, really, here, here's five of them for you. And they're like, oh, well, now I'm listening. So it always took a matter of me being the one to give the bigger gift first. And I'm more than happy to because I know that I'm thinking long term here. We're not thinking we're not talking instant satisfaction or instant gratification. This is a relationship. It's a form of networking, too. If you're not big on going to larger networking events, consider this where you farm and you can build up from here. It's important to build a strong network of referral partners. Use the hard work you put into creating this village to your advantage. 
when I first started to cultivate these relationships, I had created a trifold that I would take to these one-to-ones that you and I talked about before. I would initially meet with someone who was interested in either becoming a client or a referral partner. And in this trifold was a small snippet about me and my company. There was a description of services and packages, the industries that we had experience in, and my contact information. So these new partners would have something tangible to remember me by. It was very effective. And I I think it's a good investment. I suggest that, that you do this. It's a great start to building your relationship. Uh, I also have an onboarding form for my clients. This helps me connect to the very people that work with whom I want to be connected to. So in there, I ask simple questions like their contact information and the services they want us to assist them with. And then I ask them, what's the name of your CPA? What's the name of your payroll provider? Uh, Give me the contact information to your business coach or your contracted CFO. By me asking to be connected to these service providers, I both get to introduce myself as this client service, our services, so I say bookkeeping, admin, HR, whatever it is, and open the door to get to know them better. And hopefully then I could add them to my team of referral partners. So one thing you said was relationships are long term, right? So this yes. is a long term strategy. I will say that I have certainly come across people, and I wonder, Savannah, if you have too, where their idea of building relationships is to have touch points, but only touch points when something is needed or wanted. And honestly, that is just not, for me, that is not the way to go. You know, relationships are built for when things aren't needed or wanted, but you are Mm -hmm. around when an opportunity presents itself. It's Mm -hmm. not that there has to be an opportunity every time you connect. It's just the fact that you've gotten to know each other well enough over the years or over the months. Um, Sometimes relationships accelerate a lot faster, just depending on the personality type. But say over time, and when an opportunity presents itself, then you are you know, top of mind when that comes Mm -hmm. up and you get Mm -hmm. that connection. But uh, reaching out only when something is needed or wanted, that is, I would say that is my definite no-no. And that's yeah. um, kind of obnoxious after a while. Well, and you have to think of this as a relationship. Just, just in your mind, it is a parallel. Would you be this way in a regular relationship with a friend, with a, a loved one? You don't just call them when you need them. You don't just you shouldn't rather you shouldn't just call them when you need them. You should call them to see how they're doing. You should call them to say, hey, let's catch up. There should be those kinds of conversations. Right. It's the same with a referral relationship, because, like I said, you, the only way you can get to that deeper. I got your back place is by investing yourself into them and allowing them to invest themselves into you. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you agree with me? Do you feel like a, a, a referral relationship can really be, only be successful if you get to that level of communication or relationship? Yeah. Um, kind of going back to, I think, one of the authors that you really like, Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. He's the one that talked about the emotional bank account. It, mm-hmm. It's like that. Like, I think that's a great way to describe it is, you know, you have to make deposits in the emotional bank account. Um, and mm-hmm. sometimes you make take a withdrawal, but you're not supposed to withdraw more than what you're depositing in. And right. you shouldn't be making one deposit and taking a withdrawal. It's not supposed to be a tick for tack. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like you said, it's a relationship. Um, I wouldn't do I wouldn't do anything to anyone in my village that I wouldn't do to, like that. I would I wouldn't do to a friend. Right. And understand this is not a friendly, casual relationship in the same manner. But, you know, the same rules apply, Um, the same respect, mutual respect and Mm -hmm. um, same emotional, emotional feelings apply here. 
Mm -hmm. So a long time ago when I was in an inner communication class, it was explained to me in a way that I think is perfect for this. If you can see communicative relationships like a a tornado, like think of it like a tornado or I'd say funnel, but really it's more a tornado because it's consistently moving at the top of it is very big, right? So it takes longer to have a communication. You don't talk as often. It's at the surface. It's not as invested in you, right? And it's a part that can easily fall apart. The longer you get to know a person, the the further down that funnel you get, the more often you speak to them, the um the the conversation starts to change. And sometimes you go up and down that funnel. Sometimes you start to lose track of each other and you're like, oh, man, I haven't talked to you in so long. Uh, let's touch base or I'm sorry it's been so long. You know, you have those kinds of conversations, right? This is where I'm at, where I, what I'm talking about. You want to be somewhere near the middle. You don't need to be at the very bottom. I feel like at the bottom is your family members, maybe your spouse, maybe your loved one, maybe your parents. Um, no, we're talking somewhere in the middle where you're talking to each other often enough that you're in each other's um, front of mind, especially when it's during a season that is um, hot for the both of you, like it is for me, tax season. It's a pretty hot time. I want to make sure that I am giving to them what they want. They're giving to me what I want. So we're ha- we're talking to each other more often right, right about now. So that that and that right there is how you get to me, in my opinion. That right there is how you get to that that deeper level and can start you know, moving that wheel of a referral village. So anyway, I'm sure there are others who will disagree with me, but they're not on a podcast. So they're not on my podcast. So. <laughs> um, anyway, so in each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful business owners of today or in history. And sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. So for today's example, I actually chose a piece of an online article that I felt was particularly inspirational and speaks to our theme today. Mm -hmm. The article is by Michelle Holliday. So she's a maven, a guide, a strategist, a speaker and author of the book called The Age of Thrivability vital perspectives and practices for a better world. I've extracted certain paragraphs of her articles to kind of keep within our episode time frame, but we'll include the full link in the show notes. So like the African proverb that was take. The, well, that was a great way to start. Good place for me to call. <laughs> get it out, get it out. Like the African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child, I would also say it takes a village to raise an entrepreneur. We have this myth that the lone heroic entrepreneur, and certainly there is courage and heroism in launching a business. But if you are to succeed, there must also be countless influencers and supporters along the way, such as advisors, suppliers, partners, and of course, customers. Any business exists within the context and fabric of a community, a living ecosystem or, quote unquote, village that is vital to the enterprise's ability to develop, adapt and thrive. It may be useful for the entrepreneur to remember you are not alone. Perhaps more important it is to recognize the business is not only you. 
It is something you're steward of on behalf. Oh, I didn't say that right. Sorry. Mm. It is something you steward on behalf of and in and with the support of the village. Importantly, we are also beginning to recognize that it takes an entrepreneur to raise a village. An area's population only becomes a community or a village through repeated moments and meaningful exchanges and collaboration. Think of how challenging this has become in places like the U.S., where people are often isolated by expansive car-centric infrastructure, single-family homes, and the disappearance of both fake communities and public commons. These days, it is primarily our workplaces that bring us together to share our gifts, to be nurtured in relationships, and to contribute to the greater good in some way. In other words, to create community. Outside of work and family, many of us interact with only humans with other humans only during errands at nearby businesses. And again, this can be a deeply rewarding experience of authentic human care and community. Without the entrepreneur, the person that takes matter into their own hands and calls people together to solve problems and create new possibilities, we have no village. If we dig deeply into these two insights, that it takes a village to raise an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur or in fact, many of them to raise the village, we find in them an invitation into our power responsibility as both entrepreneurs and village members, no matter what our undertaking is and no matter what the scale of our village. Indeed, we all have the opportunity to be entrepreneurs as well, to look for ways to take matters into our own hands in the spirit of adventure, craftsmanship, contribution, and community, to take something on, to grow in mastery, to express our intrinsic, generosity, and to discover the depths of our courage. Isn't this what the world needs from us now more than ever? Amen to that. So um, I'm asking you now to follow me here as I share my example of making your village work for you. I have been fascinated by this woman since I was a child, mostly because I really enjoyed her father's writings and was also fascinated by how disastrous he was at adulting. She is mostly known for being the first to publish an algorithm for her friend and colleague's mechanical general purpose computer, making her the first computer programmer. Ada Lovelace was born August Ada uh, August Ada King, Countess of Lovelace, nee Brian, oh, sorry, Byron, nee Byron in 1815. She had a pretty tough life. Her father abandoned her. She had nearly no relationship with her mother, and she battled multiple illnesses as a child. Uh, if you're wondering who her father is, it's, it's Lord Byron. Uh, Mary was a mathematical savant and considered herself a poetical scientist, marrying concepts with numbers, which, by the way, in and of itself is mind blowing. It's the first time anyone put numbers into a sentence, if you will, or married psychology with arithmetic. It's just mind blowing what she what she presented to the world. Anyway, her tutor, Mary Somerville, introduced her to Charles Babbage, whom she had a very close relationship with. Babbage is regarded for inventing the first analytical engine, a.k.a. a computer. Uh, her educational and social efforts brought her into contact with scientists such as Andrew Cross, 
Charles Babbage, Sir David Brewster, Charles Wheatstone, Michael Faraday, and the author Charles Dickens, contacts which she used to further her education. Mind you, there's a lot more name uh, tossing that can be done with Ada, but Ada would use, because she knew as a woman, she could only get so far. She was quite lovely as well. So, you know, which today is still an issue for many women. So what she did is she kind of used her network to get her from one person to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. And she built such a rapport with these scientists and writers, just all of the examples, wonderful examples of why we have steam uh, today in school. Uh, the, the, the precipice of all of this, she used it all to create a network in order to create a strong reputation that then led her to this. Between 1842 and 1843, Ada translated an article by Italian military engineer Luigi Menabria about the analytical engine. On it, she supplemented it with an elaborate set of notes. She simply called it notes. Lovelace's notes are an important part of the early history of computers containing what many consider to be the first computer program, that is, an algorithm designed to be carried out by a machine. Her mindset of poetical science led her to ask questions about the analytical engine as shown in her notes, examining how individuals and society relate to technology as a collaborative tool. Again, marrying the human with the machine. So cool. A woman at that time was not regarded as an equal colleague. Her incredible strength in math and science, her uncanny way of building relationships and then fostering them helped her both grow her name in scientific circles and gave her access to technology for her to build upon. And I will also add that even though her father was infamous in his own right, her being related to him also worked against her because he just, like I said, he just did not do well in adulting. That's amazing considering in those times, I mean, she would have to leverage her network, um, especially of gentlemen, of men mm-hmm. that she that was willing to support her. Because, I mean, during that time, like women couldn't even own real estate, you know, they yes. without a husband or even open a bank account without a husband. They couldn't, I mean, essentially couldn't do anything until they're married or had, had their father help them do it, which and, in this case seems like he wasn't helpful at all. Oh, yeah. And, and to be and to be frank, I mean, women weren't able to do either one of those until I think the 70s of this this past century i think That's it was the true. 70s or the that 80s very true. it's, it's uh, fairly recent so, yeah so yeah. i mean in certainly in our lifetime and um and to be honest i i was torn between her and a um a woman who sat on the french court who did the exact same thing incredibly smart woman but quite beautiful as well and uh, you know she was a woman so uh but she had to leverage her contacts she ran in political circles in scientific circles in in all these different uh circles that kind of because they knew her they could speak on her reputation which is what ada did so if a man said she's really good to another man then he would trust that she was okay to work with you know what I mean? Right. So and that's just so a reflection that, of that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, to be honest, it's kind of a reflection of our time right now as well. I mean, we're not that far advanced. We're advanced, but we're still the same. So well, anyway. it takes a hundred year cycle, right? It is. But I think really it's also around the same time, um, 1840. So about what is it? 1860s or 1880s is when uh, Marie Curie 
yes. did her did her uh, scientific work as well. She came up with the same barriers, but she was a genius. Absolutely. Um, and she yeah. her husband supported her all the way. And, you know, that really helped break down a lot of barriers that she was running into. Just, just the, you know, the whole gender thing back in those days where it was oh, just yeah. a little more systematically strict. Yeah. yeah. Well, the 1880s in and of themselves, 1880s to, say, 1920s were phenomenal for the growth of of um, the women's platform. But um, mm-hmm. that's for another conversation anyway. And a different um, podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Uh, with each episode, we like to share either books, tools, apps, platforms, or anything we think is a great next step and connector to our discussion. So if you like our subject matter and want to learn more, you'll have a great place to start. So I, my recommendation is a TED Talk by Amanda Palmer. It's called The Art of Asking. Um, you can find it on YouTube, so feel free to Google it. Uh, we'll also link it in the show notes below. And it went viral, so there's quite a few million hits on it. Mm. And in this talk, she speaks directly to content creators. So, mm. you know, musicians, artists, or whatnot. But I feel that we as small business owners and entrepreneurs, we are all create content creators in our own way. Mm-hmm. So what she's saying really still sh- uh, can resonate with uh, with all of us. So Amanda Palmer's TED Talk shows how she kind of built her village, her support group, and how they responded, and how she still continues to touch in with her village today when it's no longer through the face-to-face contact that she had originally done. And her talk is just, it's just, uh, it's, it means TED Talks is like 20 minutes. Yeah. So it gets to the point. But it is, it is very cool to see kind of how she organically built her village um to to what it is today and what how that really propelled her and her um i believe her music band to success Mm -hmm. um you you know what it just occurred to me that i should note what the difference between um super connectors and referral relationships are uh super connecting is when hey i know a guy I know a guy, I know a person who can connect you to that person who can connect you to that person and connect you to that person. That That's a super connector. A uh, referral relationship is someone you have actually invested a communicative partnership with. Someone who you have a deeper uh, and more solid relationship with. So, uh, you know, probably should have mentioned this earlier, but that is the difference because I feel like what a lot of what we're talking about is something that may i don't know may translate as well what's the difference between super connectors and uh, referral relationships that that's the main difference is that a super connector um is connected to a whole lot of people i know a guy i know a guy i know a guy um but a referral relationship is really somebody that you lean on they lean on you it's it's a deeper um it goes to a deeper place John Janch has a great book called Duct Tape Marketing. I highly recommend it. It's an easy read. Uh, It's a really popular book, too, so I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, He also wrote The Referral Engine, Teaching Your Business to Market Itself. The book hits on many of the same points we've discussed here and expands on those and others. It's also a quick read, and it may be available in audio. I'm not sure. But in any case, this is a great place to deep dive on our discussion. Aside from that, I say you follow our advice. We've laid out what we think is important to the growth of your business in four bite-sized steps, but 
Don't just take our word for it. We did our research to make sure we don't send you down a terribly wrong path. We found that many of the industry experts mirrored our own advice. Take the time to take notes and let us know if you followed our instruction and how well it worked for you. And so let me expand on that. When I say this, I say we know what worked for us. We know what we agree on, uh, the two of us. However, we do still do our due diligence to make sure industry experts align with what we say, because what if something worked for us and industry experts are like, never do that. Don't do that. Maybe maybe what we did was a unicorn and everyone around us is like, why would you ever do that? Well, that's not the case. What we have found is that the industry experts, the ones that are the most successful, seem to mirror what we advise to you all. So please take the time to take the notes and take a listen, re-listen. And if this works for you, we'd love to hear about it. So please join us for our next episode where we will discuss value pricing. Is it the right direction for you and your business? Want to take a moment and discuss that before we uh, wrap up? <laughs> no, because I val- think for the listeners who are wondering what value pricing is, um, mm-hmm. can we kind of say it in a simple way? It's almost, I think, in the simplest form, like fixed price in a sense, instead of um, charging, instead of charging by the hour, um, like yeah. a time of material or charging by the hour. Value pricing is probably most closely aligned with kind of like what a fixed price would would look like. Yeah, subscriptions. Subscription. Uh, yeah, that's a good way packages. To you know, that kind of thing. Right. It's a scary place for many, many clients or not clients, sorry, many companies. Uh, it's a scary place to be. But um, well, it's because if you get it wrong, you eat it. <laughs> yes, you eat it. Yes. So we're going to discuss um, what it is, uh, what our suggestions are to you. And then you can then decide is it if it's the right direction for your business. Want to ask a question, leave a comment, or become a sponsor for a future episode of The Business Behind Small Business? Click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Until next time, thanks. Bye.